Well, good morning, Grace. You can take a seat. It's awesome to be with you this morning. My name is Jeremiah, and I am the Family Life Pastor here at Grace, and I'll be preaching the sermon today. Uh, Matt Cassidy was a late scratch this past week. He got sick a couple of days ago. Uh, either that or he's mad at me, and this is how he's taking it out on me, hoping it's the former. Uh, but that means that uh, we're going to do, uh, do a short little detour together today. Um, our David series will continue next week. That's the plan. Uh, that awesome night of worship uh, next Sunday evening. Uh, but for this morning, what we're going to do together is we're going to jump ahead about a thousand years in church history, uh, just a thousand, and we'll be in the book of Acts today. So if you've got your Bibles, your Bible app, you can open them up uh, to the book of Acts, and uh, we're going to be on a journey through Acts together. Uh, I think we'll enjoy our time together this morning. Uh, when you think of the men and women in Scripture who God has worked through to change the trajectory of human history and to alter the destiny of his people and his church, who do you think of? Who comes to mind for you? I mean, naturally, our mind goes to the heroic men and women of faith and courage that, that the Bible talks about at length, tells the stories of. We think of, of Joseph, uh, we think of Esther, we think of Abraham and Moses, we think of Ruth and David. We think of Peter, Paul, and Mary. Not the band, the New Testament ones. Uh, but we think about these men and women who were used mightily by God. But just as often in the Bible and throughout history, and, and even much more often, as a matter of fact, what God does is he, he chooses to work through the ordinary, everyday faith of people who are committed to him. People are, who are submitted to his will and seeking to obey him. And this morning, we're going to study the life of one of those individuals. We're going to take a look at a man whose name you might recognize from Scripture, but you may be a little unclear on, on how it was that God used this individual. We're going to study his life and, and see how he was used by the Lord. And he's one of those lesser-known believers in the New Testament whose ordinary, everyday faith and character and ministry were, were used by, by the Lord in order to, uh, to work in the lives of, of those in his early church. He's, uh, he was a, a significant part of what happened in those first couple of decades um, in the history of the early church. And so we're going to look at him and we're going to see this ministry that, that God actually used this ordinary, everyday man um, and, and his faith and his ministry to spread the gospel out of the Middle East and, and as far as Rome and in, even to us today. His name? His name is Barnabas. We're going to look at the story of Barnabas today because he was a man that God used to shape several events in those first couple of decades of the early church. And we might recognize Barnabas' name because it shows up 28 times in the New Testament. See it in all over the, the book of Acts. And the first time that we meet Barnabas is in Acts chapter 4. Before we get there, i just put it in a little bit of context. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends to heaven, and as he does, he commissions believers to spread the news that he had defeated sin and death, and, and that by believing in him, we can have eternal life, we can have salvation in his name. And as that first group of 120 Christians, as they begin sharing the gospel in Jerusalem, and as thousands are, are coming to Christ, these early believers did an amazing job of taking care of one another and providing for those Christians who were poor, those were who in, were in need, and there were many of those. And so it's in that context that we meet Barnabas. 
And let's read the introduction uh, to this man, Barnabas, in Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 36 and 37. This is what uh, Luke writes in Acts. He says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, he sold a field he owned and, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so in this initial passage, we find out about Barnabas' hometown, we find out about his ethnicity, and then also his spiritual heritage. We discover that Barnabas was a native of uh, the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, but that he was also Jewish, that he was specifically a Levite. And the Levites had they'd been charged to take care of the temple in Jerusalem, and so we don't quite know how this part of the story happened, but it's very likely that Barnabas would have moved to Jerusalem as a young man, and, and that while he was there, he, he would have, you know, performed the duties of a Levite and would have, would have helped and assisted in taking care of the temple. And it's also likely that while he was in Jerusalem, that he would have been exposed to Jesus. He would have met Jesus, that he would have heard his teachings, that later he would hear the teaching of, of the apostles. And then at some point, he comes to put his, his trust in Christ. He puts his faith in the Lord and begins to follow him. And we also learn from this passage something important about Barnabas's character. In, in Acts 4, we learn this about him, that Barnabas was an encourager. That he was an encourager. That Barnabas was not the name his mama gave him. His name was Joseph. But as the apostles, as they got to know Barnabas, they gave him this nickname. They said, this, this man is an encourager. He is a son of encouragement. And that's what the name Barnabas means, actually, son of encouragement. And, and so to be the, the son of something, it meant that you were intimately associated with it, that it was woven into your DNA, that it was, it was central to who you are. And so at his core, Barnabas was an encourager. And this word encouragement, it, it comes from two Greek words that, that mean to call out and alongside. It means to call out affirmation to those who are around you. And, and so as Barnabas, as he moved through life, what, what he did, he was the kind of person who called out affirmation to those who were running alongside him in the race of life. In long distance races, uh, like a marathon, there are pace setters who carry signs and these signs show the pace that they're running. And, and so if you want to finish that marathon at a certain time, what you do is you attach yourself early in the race to, to this particular pace setter, and you know that's the time that you're going to finish with. If you just, just follow this pace setter for the entire race. And most of these pace setters, they're quiet, they're, they're focused. I mean, they're running 26.2 miles holding a sign. They've got a pack of people that they're trying to get to this finish line on time. And so, so they're dialed in, right? They're focused on the task at hand. Well, one time, I had a pace setter who, who I was following, and she was not that. She was anything but quiet. Because throughout this race, she would yell uh, and, and, and encourage us with, you can do it, you know, you're almost there. She started saying that at mile six, so she was an absolute liar. We were not almost there. We had 20 miles left. But 20 miles in, she was still saying that. She, she would yell out to us, you know, you're not alone. Come on, we, we're doing this together. Just so encouraging, so motivating not quiet at all, and it was just so fun to follow somebody who was, was so abundantly encouraging and, and affirming to those who were around her. That's a Barnabas, isn't it? I mean, that is a daughter of encouragement, calling out affirmation, encouragement, hope to those that, that are suffering along with her, that she's running alongside uh, in this race. 
And so, so let's just pause for a moment. You know, before we move on, let's apply this to, to us and, and to where we are. And, and Barnabas, he was much more than just a verbal encourager. But let's take a moment to think about how we use our words. Let's think about how we steward the words that, that we share, that we impart to the people who are running alongside us in life. Think about that for a moment. Do we call out words of affirmation and hope to those that we're running alongside? Those that we're with at home or, or at work, you know, those that, that we're in friendship with, uh, those we're at odds with, those on social media. Are we sons, are we daughters of encouragement to those around us? Because you don't have to have the gift of encouragement to be an encourager to those running alongside you. And so if you're a parent, you know, let's, let's do this with our children. Let's express our, our love to them daily and, and actively be on the lookout for how we can affirm godly character traits that we see in them. And, and this can be hard because it seems like, you know, especially when the kids are younger, no, anytime you have kids, they're difficult, there's, there's somebody disobeying, and so it can be hard to make this, you know, a, a, a part of what we say to our kids and even prevalent in how we speak to our children. But our children need this from us. And, and when they grow up, they're not going to remember most of the words that we said to them. They'll remember some for sure. But they're not going to remember most of the words we said to them. But you know what they will remember? They're going to remember the relational temperature of our homes. They're going to remember the ways that, that they experienced our words to them. They're going to remember how our tone made them feel. They will carry that memory with them. And in a performance-driven world, they need us to affirm them for who they are, not just what they've done. They need to hear from us, to be reminded that they have value and dignity and worth as image bearers of Jesus. They need to know, especially when they're in that elementary phase or, or younger, they need to know while those little minds and, and hearts are still baking, while they're still being formed, uh, they, they need to hear this kind and honest affirmation from us as their moms and dads and guardians and caretakers. We need to look for the special things about them, the things that God has, has made them to be, and, and encourage them to glorify God with those attributes. You know, even in our correction, even when we have discipline for them, we can do that with a graciousness. We can do that in a way that gives them hope that God can help them to change and, instead of shaming them. We can do this for our kids. We can, we can encourage them. And, and then when they become teens and it maybe gets a little harder to like them, it's so important that we've established this pattern of being affirmers, of being encouragers um, of our children and, and doing that honestly so. And, and especially, we've got to build up this relational bank account. We've got to deposit lots of love early because we're going to need to pull out some, some withdrawals in those adolescent years. We're going to need that. And if you're married, you know, one simple way to be a son, a daughter of encouragement in your home and with your spouse is, is just to say thank you a lot, to say it every day, to, to look for the ways that, that your husband, that your wife is, is serving, is helping, is, is meeting the needs um, in the household, and, and to, to say thank you for that. One of the things I appreciate so much about my wife, Dana, is that she consistently looks for you know, even the mundane, everyday tasks that I do, and, and she says thank you. She points them out, and she expresses appreciation for those things. And you know what? 
In 17 years of marriage, I have never once gotten tired of hearing it. And, and even more, it, it makes me want to do the same with her and to see the ways that she serves our family day in, day out. And to say, thank you. Thank you for doing that. Encouragement and discouragement, they are both highly contagious. And so it is up to us as, as spouses, as, as parents, as leaders in our homes, we get to determine if there is an aroma of encouragement or the stench of a critical spirit that fills our homes. What's our home going to be filled with? We get to decide that. We get to determine that. You know, at, at home, at work, here at church, in, in your neighborhood, the 10 people who know you best, who, who are closest to you, what would they say when it comes to how you use your words, how you steward your words, what would they say you're the son or you're the daughter of? What would their nickname be for you if they had to come up with one? Consider what that might be. And let's choose to bring the aroma of encouragement into the rooms that we walk into, into the lives around us. Because life is hard. It is grueling. It is a marathon. And we all need a kind word. Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety weighs down the heart, but a kind word cheers it up. Let's cheer those around us up with kindness. Let's be a Barnabas to the people in our lives. And, and it's remarkable that the apostles of Jesus, when they thought of Barnabas, when they got to know this man, that they said, this is, this is a son of encouragement. Then he, when he walks into a room, he breathes life into the room. He, brings, he, he breathes oxygen into this room. He, he lifts people up. He builds them up. But we see that's true about Barnabas. It can be true about us. So Barnabas was an encourager. But that's not all. There's something else we discover about Barnabas. And the second is that Barnabas looked for needs and he did his best to meet them. He looked for needs and he did his best to meet them. In a world of takers, Barnabas was a giver. He had this view of his time and his abilities, his gifts, his resources, those things that were given to him by God, that they were not given to him for his indulgence that those things were given to him that he might share them with others. And, and not out of obligation, it was out of a willing heart that he did this. He knew he'd been blessed to be a blessing. And so in that passage we looked at earlier, in Acts chapter 4, we see this, the first example of that. Because there were these impoverished Christians that were living in Jerusalem. And when Barnabas heard about their need, he didn't hope that someone else would, would go and help with that need. No, he looked around and said, well, what can I do to help meet this need? What little, you know, small part can I play to, to meet this need in front of me? And so in verse 37 of Acts 4, Luke writes that Barnabas, he sold a field he owned. And he brought that money and he put it at the apostles' feet. And he said, here, please, take this, use it. And we learn that, that Barnabas, he sells some land that he owned. And he gives the money to the apostles to provide for the believers in the Jerusalem church who couldn't provide for themselves. And selling this land, that was no small sacrifice. Because in the first century... Land wasn't just an investment. Land was livelihood. Because a field meant crops, and crops meant food on the table. But it wasn't just livelihood. Land also was inheritance. It was a family's past. It was their present. It was their future. And so Barnabas, he saw that there were Christians in need, and he willingly gave what he had to meet that need. And what he gave hurt, but he was still willing to do it. And then later in Acts chapter 11, after persecution against the church breaks out in Jerusalem, 
The, the Christians there, they're forced out of the city and, and they're scattered. It starts in Acts chapter 8, but then in Acts chapter 11, what we see is that Christians have now made their way up north to Antioch. And, and as they get to Antioch, the Greeks that are in Antioch, they begin hearing the gospel and this, the city is, is lit up by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many Greeks are becoming Christians that the church in Jerusalem says, well, we've got to send somebody. We need somebody to help pastor this, this small little fledgling church that's just, that's just getting started and so they look around and, and they say, well, who can we send? And who do they find? They find Barnabas. They say Barnabas is the one who can take on this monumental task of, of pastoring this, this very small and young church. And so that's what they do. They send Barnabas on to Antioch. In Acts chapter 11, verses 23 and 24, Luke says that, that when Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done in Antioch, he was glad, and he encouraged them all. Well, of course he did. It's not an encouragement. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. There you see Barnabas again. What's he doing? He's encouraging others to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's looking around, and he's calling out to those running alongside him, and he's giving them hope. In affirmation, he's sharing Jesus with them. And notice about Barnabas, he's got no title. Okay? He wasn't one of the, the 12 disciples. He's not called apostle until later. He's got no title, but do you know what he does, what he does have? He's got a willingness, he's got a willing heart to meet the needs around him, and, and that's all he needed. And so he does this, but then he also gets others involved. He goes to Tarsus, and he finds the apostle Paul, and he says, let's go, Paul. You know, there's a need in Antioch. Let's go. We're going to co-pastor this church together. They go to Antioch, and, and, and they do that for a year. They, they shepherd this young church. They, they begin to lead and, and to serve and to preach and, and to share there. And they, they do this for a year together. And then later on in Acts chapter 11, verse 30, when a famine breaks out in Jerusalem and the Christians there find themselves in need once again, Barnabas, he takes the money that's been given by that church in Antioch. He takes it back down to Jerusalem to help that church there. And he he kind of lives by this motto that if, if someone has a need and he's able to meet it, he will. Barnabas is there. You've probably heard of the, the small West Texas town of Marfa. Marfa is it's a dusty, beat-up old ranching town that kind of weirdly is a hub for artists and has a Prada store. Weird little town. Uh, but when people move to Marfa, usually they show up with some vision of how they're going to, you know, kind of make their name great in Marfa. They, they show up looking to start or open up the next big art gallery, something along those lines. But I heard several years ago a story about a man who came to Marfa, and instead of some grand vision for what he wanted to do in Marfa, he showed up just asking, you know, what do the people of Marfa need? What could I do to, to help what's already here, to help the people that are, are here and, and serve them in some way? And he was told, you know, uh, we don't really need another art gallery, have plenty of those. You know what we do need? We need a laundromat. People need a place that they can do their laundry. And so what did he do? He opened a laundromat. He said, I can do that. You know, I can, I can help the people of Marfa in that way. One of the members of the uh, Chamber of Commerce there in Marfa, he was interviewed, said, uh, you know, it's great having another art gallery, but sometimes you just need a laundromat. And then they said, uh, we'd love to have a coffee shop here. You know, a place where people can connect, where they can get to know one another, 
uh, you know, just especially with all the new people that are coming here, it'd be great to have a coffee shop. So what does this man do? He opens up a coffee shop right next to his laundromat. It's a place where people could come and get to know one another. You know, laundromat, coffee shop, what do you need, Marfa? I want to serve your needs. That's what he came to do. He didn't come to make his name great. He came to serve those people and to meet the needs that he could, and that's exactly what he did. So in a world of consumers, have we decided to be givers? You know, who are we as we, as we go out into the world? Would the team that you work most closely with in, in your job, would they say that you look for needs and that you do your best to meet those needs? And not, not just what's in your job description, right? But do you, do you show up at work and, and in your relationships with coworkers, do you come listening for what the Spirit might show you uh, is a need that a colleague or, or supervisor or a report has that, that you might be able to help, serve, pray, minister in some way. I mean, somebody who does that, who, who shows up to the office with that attitude, with that mindset, a Barnabas kind of mindset, you know what they're called? They're called leaders. They don't have to have the title. Everybody knows it. And there is maybe no better way for supervisors and colleagues and, and employees to get to know our Savior than, than to show up as a believer who's more concerned about the needs around us than about you know, building our little kingdom at work. We can be Barnabases. He was an encourager. He was the kind of person who showed up looking for needs and, and did whatever he could to meet them. And then third, Barnabas gave second chances to the undeserving. He gave second chances to the undeserving. Barnabas didn't write someone off because they had a rough track record. He was was even willing to stand alone if he had to in order to offer a second chance to an undeserving person. This is what Barnabas did. And we see it uh, in two different places in Acts. In, In Acts chapter 9, uh, is the first time we see this. It's after the conversion of Saul, who would later have his name changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul. Uh, but, but Saul had been mercilessly persecuting Christians when he is met by Jesus in, in a life-transforming way on, on his way to Damascus. And he has his, his world totally revolutionized, ends up putting his faith in Christ. And then Saul, now, now Paul, he comes to the Christians that are in Jerusalem, but they don't want to have anything to do with him. They're scared of him. I mean, they think he's a mole. That, that this is a ruse, that he's just there, you know, with some evil scheme, and, and he's there to, to be hostile, to persecute them once again. But then look at what changes everything. In Acts chapter 9, verse 27, but Barnabas took him, took Paul, and, and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, again, Paul's original name, he told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus, he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And so what does Barnabas do? He vouches for Paul. He, he brings Paul in to get to know the apostles. And, and he is the only one that we know about who's, who's willing to give this man a, a second chance. And, and this decision by Barnabas is what launches Paul into what God has next for him. I mean, the very next verse, verse 28 says, So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. And so we see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, that he opens the door for Paul to to join the church in Jerusalem and and begin a ministry there that wouldn't end there, that it would reach the ends of the earth in that first century. And then he'd go on to write, Paul would go on to write 13 books 
in our New Testament. Almost half the books in our New Testament. But that's not the only story of, of Barnabas offering second chances to someone who was undeserving. We see it a, a second time in Acts chapter 13. There's this one last story where, where Paul and Barnabas, again, they're teamed up again. And they return to Antioch from Jerusalem. And when they get back to Antioch, the church there sends them on their first international mission trip. And, and they are specifically sent to bring the good news of Jesus to the Gentiles. Well, they decide on this, on this trip, they, they bring Barnabas' cousin. His name is Mark. They bring Mark along with them on this first missionary journey. And, and then for reasons we don't entirely understand, Mark leaves. In the middle of the trip, he takes off. He deserts uh, Paul and Barnabas in the middle of this first missionary journey. And so, so then Paul and Barnabas, they get home uh, to Antioch, and they're sent out a second time on a second missionary journey. And, and let's look at what happens when it comes to Mark. Let's look at what happens in Acts 15. 37 to 39, it says, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And so Barnabas and Paul, they, they can't agree on well, what do we do about Mark because Mark had, had left them on their first missionary trip. And so what happens? Barnabas and Paul, they end up splitting up. They go their separate ways, and Barnabas takes Mark with him, and, and Paul heads in an entirely different direction. Now, we don't know why Barnabas made his decision to give Mark another chance, but whatever his reasons were, what we do know is that he refused to give up on Mark, and he gives him a second chance, a second chance that Mark didn't deserve. And then, and then look, many years later, when Paul is imprisoned in Rome, Look at what Paul says about Mark. In, in 2 Timothy 4.11, this is what the apostle writes. Paul says, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. He says, whatever you do, I want Mark here. I want this man with me. And, and, and he wants him in, in Rome as, as part of his ministry, even from prison there, because of what a huge help Mark is to him. And so you see, Barnabas' second chance restores Mark to meaningful ministry. It's because of, of Barnabas' decision. And not only that, but this is the same Mark who will go on to write the gospel of Mark. You see, how did Mark go from an untrustworthy young man to someone who was Paul's, you know, one of his most trusted, closest companions, to, to one who would be ready to write a gospel about Jesus Christ and his life and ministry? What's the difference? God used a lot of things, no doubt, but at least in part, one of the things that God used was this man, Barnabas, who was willing to give a man who didn't deserve it a second chance. He didn't give up on him, and, and Barnabas had done that years earlier with Paul. He does it again with Mark. So I want you to think, is there someone in your orbit who needs a second chance? You know, is there a person that you have closed and locked the door to relationally, that the Spirit of God might be urging you to, to help restore them to meaningful ministry once again? Is there somebody in your life that you can think of that that might be true about? Is there someone that, that we've written off that we need to be open to restoration and reconciliation with? Someone that we need to allow the opportunity to regain trust that was lost in the past? And I think it's so important that each of us remembers that 
we all as believers are the recipients of second chances from God. Right, that while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us, and God has given us second chance after second chance after second chance. This is what he does with us and, and Barnabas and us, so we can choose to do this too. We can extend those to the undeserving as well. And, and look, absolutely, there are people who are dangerous for us, you know, who because of past abuse or, or something similar uh, that, that this, this may not apply to. But look, that's the 1%. Okay, and let's not allow the 1% to keep us from the 99% that God might want to use us to, to restore, restore to relationship, to meaningful ministry. Someone that, that we, like Barnabas, could refuse to give up on in spite of a past failure or sin or mistake. You know, how do you become a Barnabas? You do it by seeking not to make a name for yourself. You, you seek to do it by... In, in the places where God has you, in, in the rooms you walk into, the relationships that you're in, you show up asking questions like, what words of refreshment do they need to hear from me right now? What, what are the, the soul level needs that, that this person might have that I could help with, that I, I could meet? How can I restore this person that nobody else believes in? How could I maybe be a part of that? God, do you want to use me that way? Because just imagine, imagine how refreshing our homes would be, you know, if we walked into them each day asking what edifying words our, our mate, our children, our, our friends, our roommates may need to hear from us after a long, exhausting day. Think about how different our workplaces might be if we enter them uh, looking and listening for the soul, the spirit level needs that, that the people around us that we work with have that God might want to use us to meet, a need that, that we, can, we can be all in for to serve and, and to, to pray about and to meet. Think about our friendships. Think about how those might be differently. If we were willing to put away condemnation and judgment and be willing to offer second chances to someone who doesn't deserve it, you know, someone who needs a second chance in spite of a past mistake or a past failure or a mess up, this is how we become a Barnabas. This is how we become a son, a daughter of encouragement. Let's go to the Lord and, and ask him that, that he might help us to imitate the character, the faith of this man, Barnabas. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, this man, Barnabas, that he was submitted to you, that his desire was, was to do your will, was to obey you, was to follow you, even when it meant standing alone. And I thank you that you've recorded his story, that, that we might consider the outcome of his way of life and that we might imitate his faith, just as your word tells us to do in Hebrews 13. And Father, I pray that uh, for each one of, of us, for each of my brothers and sisters, I pray for me that, that we might imitate Barnabas in, in the way that we use our words, that we might be encouragers, we might be affirmers, Lord, that we'd be um, honest and generous with our, our hope and our, our, our affirmations. Pray that we would look for needs that are around us, that we might be able to meet those, not wait for someone else to do it. And then I pray that we would be ready to offer second chances. Lord, just as we've received that from you, that we would be willing to give that to others. Lord, would you build this into us? We cannot become a Barnabas on our own. Uh, we need your help. So we invite you into this. In Jesus' name, amen.